0: This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics.
1: Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone, Elvis
0: Andrews.
2: And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field,
1: Nino left the building. Guerrero lifts one to left field and... Good
3: afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of A's Cast Live. And boy, do we have a good show for you today. Coming to you live from Cleveland, Glenn Kuiper, TV face of your Oakland athletics. We will talk to Glenn coming up here at 1.30. The head coach of Stanford baseball as they're trying to get to another College World Series and play for a national championship. David Esker is going to be here. They start their Super Regional tomorrow against the Yukon Huskies at Sunken Diamond. Good luck to the Cardinal. We'll talk to their head coach at 2 o'clock. Somebody's got to give college baseball a little love around here. Of course, David Esker, you always wonder, well, how does that tie into the A's? Well, David Esker was the head coach of Cal and was a big part of a couple guys' career who you know. Uh, Marcus Simeon, Mark Canna, ring a bell? Yeah, David Esker was their head coach at Cal before he was the head coach at Stanford. Also, he played Bay Area locally, played at Stanford when they won their back-to-back World Series titles in the late 80s. So he'll be here at 2 o'clock. And then the skipper from Cleveland, Mark Kotze, will join us. At 2.30, we taped it earlier today in Cleveland. Well, he was in Cleveland. I was right here. Commander, you were at your spread in Japantown in downtown San Jose.
5: Yeah, it was uh,
3: It was an early one.
5: Actually, it was actually a little later than normal. We did it at 10 instead of 9 a.m. So it was a late start for us. That's like that's Katsay's like day is pretty much over at, at 1 p.m. Eastern.
3: By the way. I'm going to be honest with the public. I started out a little uh, bitter. I was a little bitter Bill today, like bitter Bill from Modesto on the A's Clubhouse show coming into this show, but I've reprogrammed myself. I'm fired up and ready to go. Uh, I can attest, yes, uh, you are, but that's okay. You know, things happen. I was a, l- I was, I was, I was a little uh, hacked off, as Glenn Kuyper likes to say, which I think is a great expression. But I'm back. Mr. Positive ready to rock. Now, the A's are trying to avoid – I'm going to play something to get us all in a good mood, okay? I'm just going to read what's going on, and then I have something to get us all into a good mood. Do you think what I want to play will get us all into a good mood? I pretty much will guarantee it. Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay. I'm going to play that in a second. The A's are trying to avoid a 10-game losing streak for the first time since 2011. What happened that year?
5: Where were you in 2011? Uh, I was in my second to last year of college in Pennsylvania.
3: Where was I in 2011? Was that 95-7 the Wolf? Were they around yet? I was (laughs) uh, doing A's baseball, I can tell you that. Whatever station we were on, I was doing – yeah, I was pretty much doing the same thing. Um, 2011, that was the year that uh, old Bobby Garin got let go, Baltimore to Chicago, and in Chicago – it was Bob Melvin being introduced as the new skipper of the Oakland Athletics. The A's have lost 9 in a row, 12 of 13. During this 9-game losing streak, they've been outscored 57 to 18. Okay. With all that said, we got some we got to have some good news. We got to have some positive news for you. So I want to say happy birthday, belated birthday, because I didn't know about this till last night when I was uh, roaming around Twitter and I found this friend of the program. He turned 71 yesterday. Let me take you back to 1989. It's the World Series. It's the Giants. It's the A's at the Collie. Take it away, Al Michaels. We're going to celebrate one of the greats of his era, the Cobra, Dave Parker. Dave Parker to lead off in the bottom of the third inning. A's sending eight men to the plate in the second. They
5: lead 3-0 in game one. Parker, Dave Henderson, and Mark McGuire facing Scott Carell. And the Cobra takes up high, ball one. Parker played in the World Series first in 1979, 10 years ago with Pittsburgh.
1: And then last year, at 3.45 in the 79 series, and then last year, 3 for 15, as the A's basically went into a collective slump against the Dodgers. And he gets a
3: high drive to deep right field, and Dave Parker has hit his first World Series home run. Coliseum's rocking. Who had two in the playoffs hits one out and it's four nothing. Now, does that make you feel better?
5: Uh, if you're asking me, yes. I mean, I'm a Cobra fan. Um, I mean, when we had him on last year, when we for when his book came out, um, it was great to, to hear from him. I know, uh, you know he was gone through some hell stuff over the last couple of years, but to hear from him and. To, to catch up with them, and, you know, a guy that, you know, I wasn't alive when he won a World Series with the Pirates the last time they reached the, the World Series. But to see a guy that helped the A's win a World Series in 1989 and catch up with him, it was it was awesome. Then when you sent me this, completely had no idea it was his birthday. So happy, birth, happy, happy belated 71. birthday. Happy 71.
3: Yeah, for me, that 1979 year is really the first year that I remember sports. That I can recall as a kid, going, yeah, I remember that. I remember the Pirates beating the Orioles. It was the really the year of Pittsburgh. It's when the Steelers took down the Rams, and Vince Ferragamo, Bay Area's own Vince Ferragamo, took down the L.A. Rams. It was a great year for Pittsburgh. Super Bowl, World Series, they were on. Uh, they were on top of the sports world, and you know, so as a little kid, I just. You know, remember Bill Madlock and Kent DeColvey and those guys, Phil Gardner and those guys, and, of course, the great Dave Parker. So I just thought that would make everybody feel good. A little highlight. Al Michaels calling World Series baseball for – uh, what was that on? I think ABC. Him and Tim McCarver. Or NBC. I think it was ABC. I have no – whatever. ABC, NBC, CBS. I, I, it wasn't Fox. Fox wasn't around. I just know Johnny Bench was on the radio call. Yeah, because he was like freaked out by the earthquake. Yeah, I remember
5: Tim McCarver told us he was gonna—he was like willing to jump out of the booth.
3: Which that can't—I mean, I, uh, you, uh, you would be dead. I've been—if uh, you've <laughs> ever been to the press box at Candlestick Park, even though it's torn down, you jump out of the press box at Candlestick Park, you're not surviving that. Yeah. Um, so good so, luck, Johnny.
5: Good thing you so didn't. There was another good um, piece of news uh, that came out today. I don't know if you saw it or not, but we announced that uh, it came out last year, but we put it out when the date is going to be. Um, the A's Hall of Fame. We're going to put six members in during a pregame ceremony on Sunday, August 7th, ahead of the ahead of our game at 107 versus the Giants. Um, all fans in attendance will receive a, a rally towel giveaway, athletics.com slash special events. But Ray Fossey, uh, four-time All-Star, Captain Sal Bando, Gold Glovers' Eric Chavez and Joe Rudy, Special Advisor to uh, Player Development Keith Lippman, and recently retired Steve Vucinich. I got the... I got the Voo shirt on today.
3: We saw him last weekend. I mean, everybody on that list. And we will play the tribute that Cleveland put together for Ray Fossey, even though it's more a video thing, but the audio will we'll do it justice. I thought there was um, – I'm not surprised what they did for Ray in Cleveland because having been to Cleveland with Ray and the A's – uh, he he's he's one of the greatest Indians of all time. And yes, I know they're the Guardians now. Ray Fossey was an Indian. He was proud to be an Indian, and has his plaque out at Heritage Park, as he was named one of the top 100 Indians of all time. Call him Guardians now, but Ray Fosse would told you he was a Cleveland Indian. And I think it's just it's fitting. Everybody on this list has met. Take take Chavi out as a more recent player. Everybody on this list has played a huge part in the history of our franchise. Ray Fosse was the face of our franchise. When when players come and go constantly, Ray Fosse was a backbone of this organization. I called him the face. I called him the face of the franchise because I meant it. Sal Bando is the original captain of the Oakland Athletics, the captain of a team that won three straight World Series. Joe Rudy, three straight World Series. Huge part of what the A's did in the 70s. Keith Lippman is in year 52. I think it's higher than that. 53?
5: I thought he was like almost the same around the same amount of time as Voos.
3: It's 52-53, at most 54. He's been with – but are you kidding me? 50-plus years with an organization? It is unbelievable. And the mentor that he has been to front office, coaches, managers, players, you want to talk about somebody – just go to our media guide. He's still in the media guide. I know, but I was just looking to see if anything was on Twitter. But he's been
5: here since the 70s, so yeah. It's gonna be. It's over 50 years. I just can't remember I the exact. I it's, think
3: it's 52, 53, 54 right around in there. I mean, that's incredible. And then, of course, Steve Vucinich has been been with the athletics in some form or fashion since they moved here in 1968. 52nd year. You're right. And you know what? And and you doubted me. You doubted me.
5: His first year, well, if it's the fifty-second year, that would have been nineteen
3: seventy. You doubted my knowledge of the media guide and knowing our personnel. So he was Vucek started in sixty-eight,
5: so he would have been seven, so he, two years under Voos. I said, you had it. I was too off. It's okay.
3: But. I think it's just fitting everybody going in. And, of course, I mean, Chavi, what he did with the gold gloves and, you know, one of the great third basemen in this franchise's history. But this group of guys have all helped forge what Oakland A's baseball is all about, and they're part, truly part of the greatness that is the athletics organization going from Philly, Kansas City, to Oakland. I mean, the years of service between Lippman, Vucinich, Rudy, Bando, and Fossey is unbelievable. Because let me tell you something, even though Sal Bando went on to be a GM, and even though Rudy has gone on to do whatever he's been doing, and we've had him on a few times, he's retired. They're all Oakland A's at heart. They built this franchise in Oakland. For whatever it's worth, they built it. They are Oakland A. They are the Oakland A's. You can. I know there's the group you grew up with, the guys in the late '80s. Fantastic. Then you have the group you grew up with, the Big Three and Tejada and Giambi. And, these guys set the foundation, winning three straight World Series. It's it's it's. They're truly one of the greatest teams in baseball, and they were around it. When you talk about Fosse, Bando, Rudy and then Fossey throughout his entire long career as a broadcaster, as an ambassador of the A's. That's awesome. Why why don't we play what the Cleveland Indians put up yesterday on the board? Not everybody – so we didn't get to see it. It wasn't until it came back from commercial break, and it's one of the reasons why we're bringing on Glenn Kuyper because this – Glenn puts a good face up, but I, I believe this has been the toughest series for Glenn. Glenn is um, – Somebody who spent a lot of time in Cleveland growing up as a kid because his brother, Dwayne, who we all know with the Giants, is a Cleveland Indian. And he grew up going there watching Ray Fossey and his brother. And Fosse being his partner for all these years, I bet this has been very emotional for Glenn. Cleveland's one of his... It, You know, as everybody goes, oh, God, we go to Cleveland. Glenn loves going to Cleveland because it makes him think of his parents. It makes him think of his family. Cleveland's a very special spot. We will also talk about just not Johnny's, Little Johnny's. Yes, (laughs) I am one of the very few that has been able to uh, have a beverage in Little Johnny's. Glenn Kuyper's very, it's his happy place.
5: I've never got a chance to drink at all in Cleveland. Every time I've gone to watch a game there, either when the Pirates are there or just to go check out Progressive Field, I wasn't 21 yet. So I do want to go back to Cleveland. I know a lot of people say they want to go to Cleveland. I just want to try out these bars I keep hearing about.
3: I've been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame once. I went there once. It's great. The Elvis thing's incredible. Uh, The Prince, which I'm sure they've done more to. Was Was Prince... Was Prince alive when I went there? Was he dead? He might have been gone by then. So they had a big thing for Prince. When'd you when'd you go? It's a great question. He passed in the last like five years, I believe. He might have passed by then. So they had a big thing for big thing for Elvis, big thing for Prince. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, if you love music, is no doubt a must go to. 2016, Prince passed away. Okay. So Prince had already passed away by the time I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But I will say this. Don't ever need to go to Cleveland again.
5: I, I would only go if I'm in Pittsburgh and my friends want to go or my wife wants to see Cleveland, which I liked. Uh,
3: by the way, i never uh, heard
5: my wife ever say, I want to go to Cleveland for vacation.
3: I I If I had to go to Cleveland again, the, the ballpark's nice. It is. The arena's right there. Haven't been there. Uh, Mickey Morbido. I think it's a Ritz-Carlton that we stay in. Uh, that, Ricky, uh, that Ricky, that Ricky, uh, that Mickey has it all set up. You Ricky's wa- right there. Oh, yeah. Hey. I put Ricky up today for good luck, just so everybody knows. <laughs> it's on Ricky today to end the streak. If it- I put Ricky, Ricky right next to Ray. I'm doing uh, folks, I'm doing everything that so if you don't if you're listening on A's Cast, thank you so much. But if you're watching on Twitter, on the Athletics uh YouTube page or on Twitter at AthleticsCast twenty four. You can see I got Ricky front and center, bobblehead. Let's rock! I was gonna put Jose, uh, because you, you know. Oh, well, there goes his there, bat! There goes the bat. We already, um, we already
5: had a casualty yesterday with uh, the great Bill Walsh. We don't need another one.
3: I I mean I I I don't talk about it that much because I, you know it just it is what it is, but I think. My fa I mean my guy Jose I love Jose Canseco. When I was when I was in high school, Jose Canseco was the was there was not great players, there was great players. Hall of famers. But no one was better than Jose Canseco. Come on. I know, we know we know we know a lot more now
5: about what happened. I mean, I read his book. Great author. No, he wasn't really the author, but it was his book.
3: Jose Canseco was 40-40 in a season that mattered. Jose will be up here tomorrow, well we're not on tomorrow. If the losing streak is still here by Tuesday <laughs> and we're in Fenway Park, where it's Park Yak and have it, Yad.
5: You can't do Jose. You got to do Red Sox legend, Raleigh Fingers. He was a Red Sox. <laughs> I told you after we interviewed uh after you interviewed Raleigh. We forgot Raleigh, to, I forgot I, to ask I, about I, that. We need to ask Raleigh about being a Red Sox for two Red be-
3: Sox for two legend. Weeks. <laughs> Now, the best was when the Red Sox were in town. I don't even know if you saw this. So, during one of the games where, oh, my God, um, it popped up on, we did, we, it was us, right? We had every game. There wasn't a national game.
5: Yeah, I think they were all on. NBC so, Sports, NBC
3: California. Cali puts up this thing. Uh Red Sox players who are now managers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're looking at it, and you're like, Bob Melvin? Now, unless a lot of you have forgotten the great Red Sox legend Bob Melvin. To how many years? Bob Melvin played for the Red Sox? I forgot to text Bob about this. Uh, I I promise we will get to the Ray Fossey. We tribute. will. We will. We got time. We got time. Uh, no, not
5: his managerial record, I think. Red Sox legend Bob Melvin was, uh, he played 1993-31, 77 games, hit two twenty three homers, 23 RBI. I got to
3: text Bob and say, hey, you were honored as a Red Sox, as a as a, as a Red Sox now managing in the big leagues. Tell him, he, uh, you know, next time I see him, Bob, you
5: got to pick up that OPS plus 48. I mean, uh. Hey, Bob is a backup catcher. You don't have
3: to have numbers as a backup Whoa, catcher. Well, he had a couple
5: of years of, one of 100. hundred. He's got to collect a
3: check. All right. So, six members going into the A's Hall of Fame. I'm so glad. I can't wait for the new ballpark. I don't even tell you about the rabbit hole I went down last night. <laughs> Some of you on Twitter, do you think you know? You think you know, but you don't know. Do you think you know? but you don't know. And a lot of you who are responding on Twitter to certain people, you think you know, but you don't know. That's all I'm going to say. As Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean said Moneyball, you're just talking. Blah, 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 blah. You're just talking. What are we talking about then? A lot of people think they know, and well, why are they doing this? And if they were doing this, then why would that happen? And if they really cared about this, then why would they? You don't know. You don't know. That's also
5: that could be another drop for Moneyball, where he's. The and scu- they,
3: and then the the article that came out in the Chronicle. Okay, I'm just gonna say this. I don't know who that writer is. Do you know who he is? No, I read it today. Never heard of it. I don't know how long he's been here. And I'm not questioning his journalistic skills, none of that. But if you want to see, believe, and I can say this because I worked in San Francisco for over 20 years. If you're trying to say that there is not a media bias on the San Francisco side of the Bay Area, then the East Bay side with Oakland, you scoff at that, you're wrong. You're kidding yourself. You're lying. And anybody else who would agree with that guy, I'm not questioning, I'm not going to say anything else about the article. Just the fact that when our side says, you cover us differently, oh, you oh, oh, you, you, don't think that the coverage is, of everything that the San Francisco Giants ha- have done over the years, and the coverage of them and their new ballpark, and the way Save the Bay, and the way Ports, and the way uh, City Hall in San Francisco, you're trying to say all oh, that wasn't covered different than how Oakland and the A's have been covered, how Oakland and the Raiders have been covered, how the how the Warriors skipping town to San Francisco has been covered? You're a liar. And I would love, you want to fact check? You want to go into it? Oh, I would go into it any day of the week. But, of course, this person works for the Chronicle. What are they going to say? No, because if, if he actually agreed, he'd be going against his own paper and his own employer. God, I just got off track. What the hell was I talking about?
5: We were going to play the Fossey Tribute eventually. I know, but it led me to something. Uh, I don't, we're talking about Ricky and Raleigh. oh I was
3: in the uh, Twitter
5: oh yeah rabbit hole a
3: lot of you you don't know
5: you're just talking
3: you're just talking <laughs> and you know how I can say that is I've already lived this with the Raiders remember all the stuff can we go back to all the stuff that was said by people about the Raiders how many of you actually admitted wow I was really wrong on that one wow didn't see that coming Wow, I said that would never happen, and this would never happen, and that was a lie, and that was a lie. H- how did it play out in the end? How are you right? How many people were really right? Does anybody go back to check all the columns that were written about how it was going to go down, how it should go down, the predictions, and how they claimed— this was terrible. This was wrong. This will never happen. Has anybody gone back to fact check all the all the calmness, all the opinions, all the opinion pieces, all the hot takes on Twitter? Has anybody gone back to fact check all that and call everybody out, and said, wow, none of you were right? Oh, yeah, the Super Bowl's in Las Vegas this year. The biggest entertainment event in the United States of America. Not sports. The biggest entertainment event in the most powerful country in the world is the Super Bowl, played in the United States of America, and it's being hosted by the Raiders in Las Vegas this year. Where's all the opinion pieces again? I read them all. I had to take all those phone calls about what was going to happen, what should happen, where are all those big opinions and hot takes now. So, once again, gangsters on the keyboard. Once again, Twitter tough guys. Go ahead. You're just talking. But now we want to play what the Indians did. Remember, this is awesome video of a young Ray Fossey I know they're the Guardians, but then they were the Indians. He was a young Cleveland Indian, and it was just awesome to see the video footage they have of our beloved friend, the great Ray Fossey, and the tribute there at Progressive Field.
4: Born in April 4, 1947 in Marion, Illinois, Ray Fossey began his baseball career as a three-time MVP for the Marion High School baseball team. His success didn't stop there when he was selected in the first round of the 1965 MLB draft by Cleveland. Fossey made his Major League debut in 1967 at the age of 20, but it was in 1970 when his play truly elevated, posting 18 home runs and 61 RBI in 120 games and being named to the American League All-Star team. He would make the all-star team in 1971, as well. Ray was traded to the Oakland Athletics in 1973, where he was a member of two World Series teams. He soon returned to Cleveland in 1976, playing two seasons before brief stints with Seattle and Milwaukee. His eight seasons with Cleveland, Fosse hit 50 home runs, 230 runs batted in, 549 hits, as one of baseball's best catchers. He was selected as a member of the top 100 greatest Cleveland Guardians franchise players. He will always be remembered as one of the best to ever play in a Cleveland uniform.
3: As I said earlier, I think he's put a very brave face on a lot of different things. And I'm pretty sure this has been the most emotional trip for him so far. As I said, Glenn Kuyper grew up going to Cleveland, grew up as at that time his brother and Ray were Indians. He grew up with his family going there to watch his brother, Dwayne, who we've all known for a long, long time as a Giants broadcaster, Giants player. But Dwayne was a very proud Indian. And I know Cleveland, Glenn, has always been a trip for you to where everybody goes, we got to go to Cleveland. You love Cleveland (laughs) because you grew up there. It makes you think of your family. It makes you think of all the great times uh, for you as a kid running around Municipal Stadium in that town. And i got to think for you, this first trip back without Ray has not been easy for you.
0: Yeah, as much as as, uh, I love coming here, it's different without ray i mean ray loved coming here so much and uh he had a little extra bounce in his step when when we came to cleveland so i i do i i miss having him here i miss him every day but um it was special i still love coming here though it's uh you know we're talking you know 45 you know 50 years ago um but still i i remember so many little things about, you know, coming to the ballpark and walking in the old Indians locker room and seeing all those guys and stuff. So, uh, I still, I still go down and and take a walk every time down by what's now the, the football stadium where the, the old park was just to, you know, I kind of remember where we used to park, you know, just silly stuff like that. But, um, uh, I, I do love coming here. It's a lot of fun. I know Tony, you were here with us three, four years ago and we had a lot of fun. Um, but uh, I tell you what, watching the 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 thing they did on the scoreboard last night for Ray, that was hard. That was really hard. It, it was uh, I had to kind of step back a little bit because we saw it, you know, way before the game. They were running it, uh, you know, around four o'clock when we were getting our work done, and we all stopped and uh, we put it on our phone. Um, so that was tough. That was that was hard. But it was also fun seeing Ray, you know, when he's 25 years old and, yeah. and sporting the Indians uniform. So. Yeah, mixed emotions in Cleveland this time around.
3: I'm so glad you guys came out of the commercial break and you brought it up because obviously us watching, you know, you guys are in commercial and it's being played, so if you didn't bring it up, we would have no idea. And then luckily the Indians put it – or the the Guardians put it up on their social media so we were able to see it. And, yeah, it kind of brings tears to your eyes and seeing, you know, uh, Ray – as a young Ray Fossey, and as you mentioned, when I was there at the ball club, uh, he wanted to go out, and I'll never forget. I went out with him to, out to Heritage Park to, yep. to to do an interview with him about his career in Cleveland, which, of course, your brother was a part of that interview because his plaque down there at Heritage Park is, is right next to Ray. So mm-hmm. I'll never forget that time, and I know how proud your your brother is of having played for the Indians, and, so, yep. and of course, what you mentioned was just Ray.
0: Yeah, and yeah, they're they're both. Uh, they have plaques out there. The hundred best Indians players of all time, and I think in my brother's case, maybe one of the most popular. But um, yeah, they 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 are. They were. Dwayne's very proud of that, and I know Ray was super proud of it as well. And you know, they played with the Indians, then the Indians now Guardians at a time when they they weren't very good. You know, they, they did not have great teams, but but they, they were kind of a group of guys who just were all grinders. They just, you know, when it was all said and done as a team, they just did not have enough talent, but they had a lot of fun. So they made up for it uh, in the clubhouse. And that's that's what I always remember as a kid is, is Ray's locker was just maybe two or three down for my brothers. And that's where I first met Ray. You know, when I was this was probably 1976, which would make me you know, 13 years old. And he put those big mitts around my hand, and I, you know, I, I remember that. And uh, he didn't like when I told that story because he said it made him feel old. But I said, well, I like telling that story because it, it's it's a memory that that I've had, you know, for for gosh, for you know, 45 years now.
3: Yeah, you were a little kid running around Municipal yeah, Park, and there bit. wasn't a whole lot of people around there.
0: No. No, no, there was there was not a lot of people in the stands, but to me it was Game Seven of the World Series sitting there watching these guys. So, um, you know, I'll will send you a picture, Toddy, when we get off, a picture of of that they took here in Cleveland of my brother and I when I was probably maybe fourteen years old and yeah. I had taken grounders with the team. Uh, before the game and somebody snapped a picture of of both of us in in our Indians uniform. So you know what, when we get off here, I'll, I'll I'll send it to you. You'll, You'll get a good chuckle out of it.
3: That's awesome. Now everybody on the road, when they go to certain cities, they've got a happy place. It's a place that you love. It's a place that when you go there, there's just something special. There's a place called Johnny's, but it's not Johnny's that's your happy place. It's Little Johnny's down the alley. That's your happy yeah. place. Have we been no. able to get to your happy place since you've been in Cleveland?
0: What What do you think, Tommy? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> yes, we we were there last night. We we wallowed a little bit in another unfortunate A's loss, and uh, so we we were able to break down the game, uh, have a few few uh, cold beverages and we had a lot of laughs, you know, exactly where we were in deep yeah. Johnny's bar. It's our, it's our big stop. There's a good chance we'll be there tonight. There's a good chance we'll be there tomorrow night. We'd like to be celebrating a win though, but uh, yeah, it's our We, we have a lot of fun in there. We laugh a lot. Talk about the game, talk about DAs, talk about sports. Um, and you know what, when you're on the road, as much as we are in all seriousness, Tony, you need, you need some places like that, that, uh, It maybe gets you away from work a little bit and allow you to to just kind of, you know, just laugh a little bit, have a couple drinks, um, and, you know, it sort of helps you get through the road trips because sometimes these road trips get a little long and, you know, you're away from your family and that kind of thing. So so those pit stops certainly help.
3: And what's very similar is when I was with you at Little Johnny's last time, the Warriors were also in the NBA Finals. So uh, That's right. Yeah, That's right. so you got Warrior yeah. basketball going on there. And we know how much people in Cleveland love Steph Curry and the Warriors. Oh, boy. Yeah, don't bring up
0: that name. They'll, they'll be ready to fight you. But you think about where we're headed, too, Tony. We're going to Boston.
3: Yeah. So we're,
0: we're going to be in Boston for Game 5, which will be obviously back in the Bay Area. Um, and then I believe game six would be Thursday and we would be heading out of town, a day game in Boston uh, for the A's and the Red Sox. So we're going to be right in the thick of this thing, uh, this NBA finals thing. So it's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, we're going to get a lot of that Boston attitude, I think, in the four days we're there. So that, that'll just make it a little bit more fun because Boston's a great, great, great stop, uh, uh, you know, great sports town and stuff. So, Uh, We're looking forward to getting there as well.
3: You know, it's funny in our job, people will say during times like this, they just go, how do you do it? And I'm looking at the notes, and it's like the last time the A's had a 10-game losing streak was 2011. And you and I, what were you doing in 2011? Oh, we were doing the same thing. So it's not like we haven't been through this before. I've just, you've always, you've you've been on television and I've been on one of the random radio stations we've been on over the years. So we've done this before, but you know what, this is kind of baseball. Like people have gotten used to like the Yankees have had this unbelievable run where they're in the postseason every single year. It just doesn't happen that way. Most all franchises, you have your winning years, then you'll have some years where you don't. It's like you got to like remind people that this is not our first rodeo. We've done this before.
0: No, and unfortunately, we had a nine-game losing streak earlier this year. Yeah. So yeah, we have been through it. But I think that the important thing, Tony, too, is I know I know you understand it, and, and we're all fans of the A's. We want them to win, but you can only allow that fandom to go so far in your work um, because that's not your, jo- your job is not to be a fan. It's to present the game, have some fun with the game. You hope your team wins, but they're not going to win all the time. And some years are better than others. So, you know, I, I, we are fans and we want the team to win, but you can't go home and and let the outcome of a game emotionally pull you one way or the other in in, in baseball because there's just too many games. Um, So you just, you you forget about it. You move on to the next game. You prepare. You get excited. I mean, I'm excited first pitch every night. You know, it's just the way it is. And what happens in the game, you know, let it happen. Let it play out. We'll tell you what's going on. Um, But you just cannot affect, you, you can't let the outcome of a game affect you too much because, It'll, just, it'll wear you out if your team's having a bad year.
3: You know, in Atlanta, we had Chip Carey on, and we were talking about the Carey family as now Chip's twins are doing play-by-play, of course. <laughs> his dad and his grandpa, the great Harry Carey. And then we are like, well, you got, we got the Kuypers in the Bay Area, and we started talking about all the Kuypers. And then I went, wait a minute, Glenn's son knows a football player. Is this his senior year football, Jack's senior year? He is. Yeah, not. Yeah, he's
0: he's turned into more of a rugby player now than than football. Um, So he's he's kind of shifted his gears toward rugby in the spring. So but yeah, this is his senior year. I don't know. I don't think he's going to be a sports announcer. Um, He wants to go to school down south. Um, He wants to to get out, have a little more a little more acreage, maybe get out of California uh but yeah he's going to be a senior so we're looking forward to senior year we're not looking forward to him leaving <laughs> but uh but w- welcome to life right just uh make sure he's he's ready to go when the time comes yeah but, if uh, you thought he, he was doing good
3: if you thought he was on the payroll once he leaves he's really on the payroll <laughs> yeah
0: exactly yeah we're, we're starting to have those conversations actually
3: yeah. <laughs> and you just thought well i may retire oh wait you know what i think i'm gonna be doing ace baseball for yeah. a few more years yeah. Yeah,
0: the, the, yeah, that college tuition thing, it's, that's not getting cheaper.
3: Yeah, no yeah, no doubt about it. Hey, let's end on this. And I just, you know, I, I've known you for a long, long time, and uh, our careers have passed through so many different uh, uh, ways, and I have so much respect for what you've done in your career and really what you're doing right now. It's not easy to go from a partner that you had from all those years to now make it seamless with Dallas Braden and there's a lot of emotion with losing Ray, and I know also for Dallas, replacing Ray is not easy. Just the work you have done—that's really tough. It's tough emotionally and tough to do it every single day. And a lot of people don't know it. I know it, and I just want to commend you for the job you've done this year. It's one of the best of your careers.
0: Oh well, thank you. That's that's very kind, Tony. Um, yeah, it's a different year. You know, I mean, it's 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 hard because I really do miss Ray a lot, but. I've been blessed with Dallas Braden and Dallas is really, really good. He's really talented. Uh, he works really hard. He doesn't take this for granted. He understands how hard the game is, but he, he works hard and we do have a lot of fun together. Um, I hope people understand that. I hope they're okay with that. Um, it's important to have fun with the person that you're working with. Um, when you're doing 150, 155 games, I hope, you know, people understand that you, you gotta laugh some, you gotta have some fun. Um, and, and Dallas is a lot of fun. He's got a great sense of humor and we, we enjoy working together. Um, and we both miss Ray, you know, and, and that, that'll, that'll never change, but he's, he's with us each day. And we do think about him a lot, you know, especially before the games. Um, sometimes we'll tell a Ray story just to, to Make us laugh and get us through it, but uh, I appreciate the compliments, Tawny, and you know how I feel about your work as well. You're your uncle Tawny to all of us, so when we have problems, we just call you.
3: Well, when you're at Little Johnny's, think of me.
0: Oh, we will think of you. Maybe we'll send you a photo. How about that? Send me
3: a photo. Tip <laughs> tip one back for me. All
0: right, see you, buddy. All Thanks right, for take care. Me. Have
3: a good call tonight. All right. All right. The great Glenn Kuiper. Yeah, I mean, tough really tough you know the last like all of us last time we saw ray was when he was the paramedics were taking him out of the press box that's the last time glenn saw him last time i saw him that was it there was no goodbyes it was just he was gone and when that's your partner who you've traveled the country with for all these years and you got to put a good face on it and you got to develop the rapport with the new partner and have respect for you the audience i knew when they came back from that commercial break and glenn was talking about that video that the guardians put up you could i could tell the emotion this has been a very he's been very professional as always and this has been a very tough series not a lot of people are going to bring it up but i will he deserves credit. We should, we should really appreciate the professionalism that Glenn Kuiper is showing us night in and night out, but especially in this series because it is not easy. Because when you go to Cleveland, let me tell you something: you get out, you you get off the butts, you get off the bus at the Ritz Carlton. No one gave a crap about Matt Olson or Matt Chapman. Everybody, there's a bunch of fans there, and they all had Ray Fossey stuff. Ray Fossey's a star in Cleveland. I'm telling you, 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 you got to. And when you walked into that press box, he knows everybody, knows everybody. I got a story for you. you like this one, Cody. He brought in, and it might have been the guy that narrated the video. I can't remember the guy's name, but I've talked about my, my grandfather, and it, it's really my connection to Ray. A lot has through my grandfather because I didn't get to know my grandfather. Ray kind of filled that void for me. It was very special. I haven't talked a lot about it, but so there it is. It was, it was why I had so much love for Ray. Ray found this man and brought him to me. My grandfather played in that World Series in 1948, the last World Series the Indians won. I always talk about how my grandfather won the MVP in 1947, but he played in that World Series in 48. My grandfather hit two Home runs off Bob Feller in that World Series. So Ray brings this man in. He goes, I, Ray goes, this is the guy I've been telling you. This is Bob Elliott's grandson. And the guy's I He goes, Bob Elliott was your grandfather? And he starts talking about the 48 World Series. He was an older guy. Hopefully he's still with us. And was talking about breaking down the World Series of my grandfather. Because my grandfather dominated the Indians in that World Series. But the Indians would win. And... Think about that. Ray Fossey went and found that guy to come talk to me in the press box in Cleveland. Ray took me around all over Cleveland at the press. He took me down to Heritage Park, which is in center field. We did the interview. Ray took me all around the ballpark. Took me, introduced me to everybody. It was unbelievable. Ray, it it's almost like as big as Ray is with us. Trust me. We when we brought a when we brought Ray out to the treehouse, whoa, there was a major crowd. Wherever Ray went, there was a crowd, right? But that was the same way in Cleveland. You know, they on their big video board before every game, they they play a highlight reel just like we do of the great times of Oakland A's baseball. Well, guess what video they have before every single game? It's two former A's, Eck, throwing the no-hitter and jumping into Ray Fossey's arms. They play that before every Indians game. So if you're an Indians fan, young or old, Ray Fossey is up on your video board before every game. He's one of their legendary players. So when he went there, they treated him like that. Remember, this is Cleveland. It's a Cleveland is a great sports town. They love... Unless it's LeBron, it's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> uh, everybody else, they love their players. They love. They love Cleveland Browns. They love Cleveland Guardians, Indians. Like Bernie Kosar is still a legend there. Like if you, if you, oh, Otto Graham, my God, he won eight championships. Jim Brown. Jim Brown, but Otto Graham won eight championships as a quarterback. They didn't have Super Bowls back then. They had all kinds of names. So Otto Graham won, I believe it's eight. No one's, no one's not even, not even Tom Brady has won more championships. We don't, football's not great at honoring their past. Half our audience is going, who the hell is Otto Graham?
5: I mean, I know who he is because I'm just a a nerd, but how many, how many did he end up winning? Three NFL championships, uh... Four
3: AAFC championships. I mean, this is forty-six through forty-nine. Yeah, at seven I mean,
5: titles he won.
3: At seven. Tied with Brady. Tied with Brady. <laughs> I gave him one too many. But he didn't even play in the NFL until in the fifties and still was a three time NFL MVP. Otto Graham is one of the great quarterbacks and punters of all time. You know, there's there's one guy that they're all
5: they're all trailing behind. I've been waiting forever to play this drop. There's one guy that they're all behind. Wait, hold
3: on, hold on. In
5: what? Championships won. What?
3: Sp- any sport? Any sport. Okay. When you're talking the about. The most championships ever won. I think I know who you're going to. But he does not have the most championships. Well, anyway, when you're talking about. Okay. You're talking to the Rolex. Wearing. Diamond ring. Wearing. Kiss stealing.
0: Woo. wheeling dealing. Limousine riding. Jet flying. Son of a gun.
5: That would be the nature boy, Ric Flair, with 16 world titles. Set your game up, Brady. How many more years are you going to play?
3: He, (laughs) as much as Hulk Hogan fought for our country, (laughs) as the macho man, my guy was Macho Man, who later would become Macho King. He beat King Haku to become Macho King. There's a lot of guys that were great in the interviews that made the WWF back in the day, which then became the WWE. But nobody was a better entertainer than the nature boy, Ric Flair. Nobody. Nobody since the closest, closest guy is The Rock. Yeah, I was going to say The Rock, for sure. But he still was not better than Ric Flair. Uh, No. Ric Flair... Rick Flair's monologue—they were monologues. <laughs> he would just keep going and going and going and going, to where The Rock was great. The Rock was great with the crowd. Yes, he worked the crowd so well. Right, and but but when he did that, if you go back and you watch the difference between Flair and The Rock, The Rock would work the crowd. There was a lot of pauses. He'd do the eyebrows. Crowd goes nuts. These were in-studio, old-school, mean Gene Okerlund or then the other guys who were part of the Southern League, TBS League, whatever it was. Um, That was an NWA. They were in a small studio with a small audience. They weren't in an arena. A lot of the rock stuff was in arenas, in the back of arenas, so they weren't that long. Nature Boy's giving full – these are long-form interviews in a studio where it's like – how does he keep going? How does he have the breath in his lungs to keep – I mean, it. I. I, I as a performer – and I love The Rock. Love The Rock. Played for? Miami.
5: The U. Uh, the one thing about The Rock, too. Under? Uh, that would have been Jimmy Johnson. Dennis Erickson. Oh, Jimmy Johnson was before him, sorry. Well before him. Uh, no, what the thing about The Rock, too, that made him so great – is he the Rock worked, says he worked a crowd, and he'd always do the finally. Yeah, and then he'd always insert the city name. He got yeah. a cheap, crowd, a cheap pop, as we <laughs> fans of wrestling would call it. Uh, the Rock has come back to Orlando. Yeah, and, and everyone <laughs> would go crazy, and it just he, he did something. Then the uh, uh, what is your name? It doesn't matter yeah. what your name is. He's
3: fabulous. Uh, his Hall of Fame speech, The Rock's Hall of Fame speech, was phenomenal. Oh, The Rock. I mean, he's a movie star. He's The Rock. Some people want him to run for president. He's The Rock. I'm pretty sure he's the highest paid.
5: uh, He made the most money in Hollywood last year, one of these last couple years. Most money made in Hollywood because he was in like 900 movies. I bet he's made the most money many years. Yeah, he's in like 900 movies every year.
3: The Rock says, but nobody doing the interview, the wrestle interview, the fake commentator with the wrestler, nobody was better than Rick Flair. To
5: be the man, you got to beat the man. Woo!
3: Limousine driving. The limousine kiss, riding. Limousine riding. Jet flying. Son of a gun.
0: You're talking to the Rolex. Wearing. Diamond ring. Wearing. Kiss stealing. Woo! Wheel dealin'!
3: dealing. Limousine riding. Jet flying. Son of a gun. They all stole from him. He was the original guy to do this, right? He was the original guy to be, I'm rich, I'm famous, I'm the champ. He was the original one. You know, they all stole from Flair. Flair was doing this in the 60s. His time's numbered,
5: though, because his daughter Charlotte in WWE has thir- she's won 13 titles. How old is Ric Flair?
3: He has to be in the 70s. He's got to be. I want to say he's a... He's way older than Hogan. By the way, do you remember when I interviewed Hogan at 95.7 The Game in studio?
5: Yes, Flair's 73.
3: Oh, my God. Hogan's... Uh, it's the late sixties, yeah.
5: And uh, I always I I draw a blank on what his real name—Terry, Terry, Terry Bola. Uh, Sixty-eight, born in Augusta, Georgia, but he's booked from Venice Beach, California.
3: He's not from Venice Beach.
5: Cal- Hulk Hogan is not from Venice Beach. Well, when he was in WCW, he was Hollywood.
3: Hulk Hogan. Was he born at the Masters in Augusta, Georgia? <laughs> oh, by the way, the six-seven thing. I hate to tell you, wrestling fans. We're in studio. WrestleMania. What year was WrestleMania in San Clara? In uh, uh, Santa, Santa Clara? Clara.
5: Twenty fifteen.
3: They bring in Jimmy Hart. We were both Mouth of the South. Mouth of the Mouth of the South. So they bring him in studio. Hogan. Hogan tries to say, "Well, I've had back surgery." Hulk Hogan is like six one. There's no way he's six seven. Not even close. I don't care. I don't care how many discs have been removed from his back. <laughs> you don't lose. That many inches in your back. You, dude, dude. He's still a monster guy. He's a big dude. He showed us where his biceps both ripped when he picked up Andre the Giant in WrestleMania 3. I remember that, yeah. That I don't which, remember it
5: live, but I remember watching it.
3: I, w- I watched it live when I was a little kid. It was the highest pay-per-view of all time where Andre, and he admits, Andre had to jump into his arms, and for him to hold Andre, it ripped both his biceps. And once you rip that hole in your biceps, you, there's nothing you can do after that. The 24-inch pythons, as he liked to say, brother. Uh, do you know Jimmy Hart's like 80? Yeah,
5: I saw him in the studio a few years ago. I know, but hes uh, you would never think about looking because he still has a great head of hair. He
3: always carries around the megaphone. Well, it's obviously dyed. Wow, shots fired. Yeah. People say that to me all the time. You dye your hair. No, I don't. I remember you and Billy Bean talked about your hair on the field. I don't. And if I ever do, I will admit to it. I will not be a guy who's like 56 years old like we may know who's got jet black hair. I will never be that guy. Oh. I have Aveda Grooming Cream. You can still see that I have some grays.
5: Uh, I don't see any. You don't see any? No, but I'm not looking close enough. That's just weird for me to keep staring at your head. Well, you I'll wash
3: my hair and prove it to you. I do have some gray, but it's the Aveda Grooming Cream. Aveda, check it out. It's fantastic.
5: If this isn't, our I heart-
3: will dye my hair. That I will not. I will not be above that. But I still want to have some gray. It's like Bob Coss is in his seventies and he just has a little gray hair. I told my wife when I go gray, I'm not dyeing it.
5: You wear a man bun. You don't care about what you look that's, like. That's that's one thing I was going to say. I wish Fosse was here if we could, so I could ask oh, him. Oh my! He F- oh my! If you <laughs>
3: Fosse would have brought scissors in and cut your hair,
5: he always commented, "said my beard looked nice," but I can't. I can only imagine what he'd say about the man bun.
3: I swear to God, if I didn't shave one day, two days because I really don't grow, if there was just a stubble, Fosse had an issue with it. <laughs> and it for my appearance, Fossey was always on my appearance. He expected me when I showed up to the yard to look professional. Yeah, He should have had a suit on. Oh, it'd be a tucky shirt in. When we were on the road, Fossey always made me sit next to him on the bus. Sure, t- do you have a tie on, too?
5: No. Wow. I'm sure Ray did.
3: Ray never wore. Actually, I, I only have ever
5: seen Ray in a tie.
3: Yeah, he had ties on back in the day doing yeah. Oh, they, but yeah, but I meant like they, recently. They they've they've laxed over time yeah. on the on the A's broadcast. It's more colored shirt or polo or Oh yeah, it, they 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 have laxed big time. By the way, I have a note for you on this game. Who's coming up next? We got a David Esker. Coach Esker. where is Stanford? I forgot to ask. Where are they even ranked? And which it doesn't matter. They they're, they're the number 2
5: seed right now. There's only one team better than them. Who? Uh, number one was.
3: Um, I'd have to look. I sent it to you the other day. Number two, Stanford at number two in the country. That kind of, huh? That kind of brings back a memory. Where? What? What? Why does? Why is Stanford ranked number two in the country? Bring back a memory for me.
5: Uh, because you beat them when they were number two. Oh,
3: that's right. I beat them at Sunken Diamond when they were number two in the country. Uh, I, I Look it up.
5: This is the seeding, but the number one seed that's still huh? left is Tennessee. They were fifty-six and seven. Oof, fifty-six and yeah. seven. Stanford was forty-five and fifteen. Can you can you bet
3: on college of baseball? Um, I don't probably. Because if you bet on college baseball and they were 57 and 7, 56 and 7, 56 and 7, you would have won a lot of money, even though every night you were paying a premium. Yeah. Did you know we got the gambling thing in an email? Did you see that? Uh, I saw it, but I, I didn't get a chance to read it yet. I just saw it. I was like, what is this? Because it, 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 it's still, for me, a little weird that I see MLB Network has gambling shows. I see that baseball is full-on connected to DraftKings draft and MGM, but yet we got an email saying we can't gamble. We can't gamble on baseball, which obviously we all know. It's We can't gamble on softball. That's, that's real. If, I mean,
5: if you're gambling which, on softball, you're degenerate. I
3: didn't know you could gamble on softball. You can gamble on anything, it seems like. Anyway. So if you can gamble, what, you're gambling on college softball?
5: Just bet on Oklahoma. They won the national title last night.
3: Well, I mean, if you can bet on college softball, you could bet on college baseball. I texted you
5: last night because I, I heard a caller on game mention, Jocelyn Aho. She is the all-time home run champion in baseball and softball, not just softball. That's incredible. This
3: woman for Oklahoma, if you, like, want to teach somebody about how to use the ground as leverage – We talk about that with home run hitters in baseball. We talk about that in golf, where you use the ground as your leverage. She uses the ground as good as anybody. She hit out. She's all over YouTube. She hits bombs like bombs. It got brought up in the A's clubhouse show to uh, why not sign her?
5: Hundred and twenty two career home runs in college. That's remarkable. And they're not cheapies.
3: No, she they're mammoth home runs. I just you know, the thing that that always gets me about people when they talk about the two sports, it's not apples to apples. Like men's basketball, women's basketball. Yes. Tennis, uh, golf, uh, softball and baseball are so different. The equipment's different. Like you could say the women's basketball is a little bit smaller than the men's basketball, but still the hoop size, court size. Golf, you know, the golf ball can be a little bit different, but, I mean, you know, tennis, track and field, whatever. Softball and baseball are really, even though there's a ball and a bat, they're really different sports dramatically. I agree with that, yeah. Field size, bases, uh, pitchers. The ground, the, the the mound is a flat ground. Pitchers, everything's coming right by their hip to where pitchers are on mound, everything. You have side armors, but mostly everything's coming from up here. I mean, it's really, they're, they're, it's similar sports, but they're not. They're they're not two you really, sh- you should not
5: compare. No, and what's crazy, too, is um, with the game last night, they put uh, Olo in the field. She hasn't played in the field since like February. She a DH? I think she essentially was like DHing, but they put her in the field in left field yesterday. She made an out. I know she made the first out. I can't remember what happened in the second out. and Then they took her out with two outs for a curtain call, and she just hugged everyone, and that was it. Her career is over.
3: She's the greatest player in the history of the game.
5: Uh, women's softball, I would say so.
3: Uh, what's her name? Jenny, Jenny Finch. Jenny Finch. Yeah, she was, she was, she was pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. Yeah, softball. I like watching. Uh, I like watching those. Uh, Especially, it's always like on ESPN two, and they blow the pitchers blow smoke. Yeah, they're good. Oh, my sister was a,
5: a really good softball. Whew. My sister was a really good softball player.
3: Yeah, this isn't like beer league softball where they're throwing up and guys are just trying to hit the ball eight that. I mean, this is the it's 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 an art form. Softball's great. Softball's a great sport. It's just I'm telling. You, baseball and softball are not. Would you agree with that? I do. I don't think they're very similar. People trying. oh, well, could a softball player or a baseball player? The sports are different.
5: I I watched it from hand because my sister is a few years younger than me. My sister was getting recruited to play at different high schools and a couple colleges in eighth grade. There were high schools that were trying to get her to come play for their high school in eighth grade. Now, my sister it, it essentially grew up to be me with longer hair, but the body size was we're, we were built the same up. But my sister was an unbelievable softball player and track and field uh, discus and shot put thrower too. Uh the the superstardom in the Elias family clearly fell on her hands when it came to softball and, and other sports. I just I'm good behind a keyboard and fighting stats. Mm.
3: Coming up next, we're heading to the farm, talking a little Stanford baseball and the super regional next, right here on A's Cast Live.
1: Streaming from the East Bay, A's cast Live continues with Chris Townsend.
3: You know, it, it, it just bugs you when you have Google and Gmail. You're out of space. I've deleted literally thousands of emails. How am I still out of space? I don't know. I've because they want to charge you more
5: for more space. I don't. I didn't notice that that was a thing until I saw your email when, oh, earlier when I set up the show for us today. And I'm like, wait, how are you out of storage?
3: Seriously. And I have just erased so much, and I keep getting more. It's annoying. But enough about me. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready, yeah. Let's rock.
5: All right, so show your pride and celebrate Glen Burke Pride Night at the ballpark on June 17th. That's next Friday, a week from today. $5 from every ticket sold will benefit the Oakland LGBTQ Center, whose mission is dedicated to enhancing and sustaining the well-being of LGBTQ plus individuals, their families, and allies by providing educational, social, and health-related activities, programs, and services. Early arriving fans can get a commemorative Glen Burke Pride Night hat, which town holding right now, presented by Gilead as the A's take on the Kansas City Royals. Tickets are available at athletics.com slash tickets. That's athletics.com slash tickets. Next Friday, against the Royals at the Coliseum, Glenn Burke Pride Night, athletics.com slash tickets. As you can see the hat right there. What great- do you think, Ricky? Yeah, Ricky likes it. Great underbill. Ricky like it. And we want I mean, to thank, seriously. And we want to thank Gilead for, for sponsoring that.
3: It's a fantastic hat. We've been joking around going when we were growing up, when we went to the ballpark and we got the uh, hats with the tickets. They fell apart by the time you got home or you wore them like a couple times, they were done. These are really made well hats. You see the underbill. It's fantastic. Well, we want to keep you updated on what's going on in our area College baseball, the future of Major League Baseball. These are the best teams that are left. Stanford, a premier program starting tomorrow. They're super regional against UConn. The Huskies come to town. David Esker knows a lot about A's baseball. He's had quite a few of his players play for the A's, including guys like Mark Canna and Marcus Simeon when he was the head coach over at Cal. He went to Stanford, won the national championship at Stanford multiple times as a player, then coached at Stanford, got the job at Cal, and then came back to his alma mater, and he just continues to win. Here's David Esker, head coach of the Stanford Cardinal. Congratulations. Super Regionals are going to be there at your yard on Saturday against UConn, and you've kept your alma mater rolling, and it's great to see.
2: I appreciated that, Chris. I appreciate it. Yeah, we've. We've had to pull one out on, on Monday night. Uh it was right down to the wire. But uh our, our team had played great throughout the weekend and and you know the crowd was just electric, which Sunken Diamond was just as loud and as energetic as I've ever seen it. And uh I know they carried us. So once, once we get those two homers, I think the the whole team was levitating with that energy that Sunken Diamond.
3: And what's, you know, so ever since they put the Super Regionals in, it's made it such a different dynamic. Because now it's like, you know, before you got through, then you went to the College World Series. Now they threw this extra round on. How has that just changed it over the years?
2: Well, hey, one, once you get to the 16, right, there are, there are, no, are no soft weekends, right? All, all 16 yeah. teams are capable. And, you know, it, it, it kind of gets you back to the, the the style of play you're used to, which is two out of three weekend series. You know, the, the regional can get a, away from you a little bit like it did for us. I mean, we played five games in four days and you're usually not built for five games in four days, but uh, it'll push you to that limit if you get into the loser's bracket. So going from tournament schedule to uh, super regional, which is just normal weekend schedule, um it, it's a challenge but it kind of gets you back on, on on track you probably need don't stretch your pitching staff as much as you would during a tournament weekend
3: how much will you prepare for UConn from a standpoint of uh, scouting reports video or how much of it is you've gotten this far this is who you are this is what we do combination just just take us through how you guys will prepare well
2: first of all my, my coach and staff is without peer as far as preparation and it is it is a lot of video work it is a lot of charting it is a lot of just digging into the statistics it is a lot of looking what matchups are like it's uh it's kind of digging down to what their offense is how they run their offense you know what their what, what their strengths are and and what they do in certain situations up by a run down by a run what their pitchers are are throwing and sequencing and 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 hopefully if there's a little crack and something we can take an advantage of whether it's the running game or you know playing short or you know just moving runners and, and just an advantageous count to, to kind of to kind of run, you know, they'll have a plan for us. And I, like I said, what is probably the X factor always say in winning, you got to pitch and play defense. And for us, it's pitching and defense. We talk about always having a different hero every night but the x factor is the preparation that my coaches put in and we could not be anywhere over the last four years that i've been here at stanford without just the dedication and tireless preparation and almost to the point of exhaustion so you know i'm always coming to the office watching them work you know just their eyes just bloodshot looking at video and you know i come in and i bring them a pizza or or something to eat just to keep them going (laughs)
3: Yeah, it, it's just so different from when you and I were playing back then in the day. And obviously, you were part of the national championships, and I was kind of right after you at San Jose State. And, you know, they give you a packet, you knew guys' numbers for the other team. But, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, isn't just amazing the difference from, you know, I think college baseball was a, even ahead of Major League Baseball when it came to video and using TrackMan and these types yeah, of things. is yeah. Just talk about how the world so much has changed because of technology for you guys oh
2: you know it, it, you're right it is gone just from trying to get as much information you could from a stat sheet right you would get statistics yeah. and you would you would just try to find whatever information you could whether they ran or uh strike out to walk ratio and you know the guys who were hot versus not hot in the last 10 games to then it progressed where you know we literally would take the 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 play-by-play sheet from the box score and start charting you know when a guy says guy grounds to shortstop you know you're just charting where where on the field they're making their outs and where they're getting their hits and trying to find some information um that you can and now it's video it's track man it's spin rate it is location it is quadrants it is you know filters that i want to see all their two strike swings off of right-handed breaking balls and they you know you you get on a on a, on a website and it draws them all up for you and pulls them out is it's spray charts that are at your, you know, at your, uh, uh, you, you can, you can get to those spray charts and then it's, you know, we don't, I don't know how, how much we use it, but it is a possibility. It is virtual reality glasses that you can, if they're in their uh, library and they have certain pictures, They'll they'll have them 3D. You've got these virtual reality glasses and they're delivering pitches and you're able to track pitches and 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 work on timing um, you know, with those with those Oculus Prime glasses. And it's it's crazy what's at your disposal now. And it's just, you know, you've, you've got to commit to some of those things. If you just use them, you know, haphazardly, it's garbage in, garbage out. Right. But it, but there's a few things you'll commit to that you think can move the needle to help get you better prepared. And a lot of this is, right, if it moves the needle just a little, it's worth it.
3: Well, I love hearing all of it. It, it, It's great stuff, especially, as you said, if you use it correctly. But then as a head coach, you've got a lot of smart guys. I mean, obviously, I've always known the Stanford guys, pretty bright. You look at the degrees they're getting, and sometimes they may, this generation, I don't know, you tell me, but this generation's bright kids, maybe get too much into this how yeah, much man. do you have to rein them back and be like, hey, it's still the little things that win baseball games?
2: Well, it's still about baseball, right? It's the training. And, and you're right. You know, you get you get some smart kids and, and you pump them with information. They start to think baseball is more of a, a you know, a, an equation rather than a physical performance. Right? And, and we still it, it, it is a confrontational game that is physical and it is about me versus you. Now, you can be, get yourself prepared so you have a a good chance of winning that battle, sometimes too much information, you know, you get, you, get, you get too much brain into baseball, that's not good either, right? But if there are certain things that we as coaches can become aware of that will help us in our training to answer questions and roadblocks that certain players are having, trying to get the best of their performance, uh, we don't share all the information with them because I don't think we need to get that in their headspace altogether. Maybe pieces of it, if we're trying to make a point uh, but I think our job as coaches is to figure out how much of that information we disseminate, how much that we use it for our own planning of how to train and and work on things that we think will help them get better and move the needle. Uh, but it's it's a new age for sure because there's a lot out there, and and you can, you know, you can stick something on a guy's bat, and they'll tell you how the guy swings and how fast it is, and what the swing plane is, and how long they're in the hitting zone. Uh, you can track a pitch from the mound, and they'll tell you how far off the mound you're extending, what the spin was like, what the axis of the spin was. So there's a lot of information out there, and it's just the coaches that will 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 be smart with using that information to help the kids get better.
3: Yeah, it's like us in our golf games now. It's like you got all this stuff, yeah. and at some point, just just hit the ball down the middle, just find yeah. the ball after you hit it. Sometimes we get too much into, into, into information. You know, when I think about the Stanford job, and for you how special it is, what you did in your great career as a player. Um, obviously, you went over Cal, which is always interesting. And we could talk about our guys like Mark Canna and uh, Marcus Simeon. Yeah. And then you come back to your alma mater. And I've always thought, you know, when you got that, Marquez did it forever. That's who uh, we competed against, San Jose State. And I just think about, you know, if you're someone like Coach Shaw in football, Uh, I've actually played golf with Mike Montgomery who said, you know, he liked the money in the Warriors gig, but he wished he never would have left Stanford because once you get like the Stanford job for yourself, I mean, this is, this is what you do for the rest of your career. I mean, just how blessed are just for yourself and the other coaches in in your guys athletic department, when you get that job there on the farm, that's not one you want to give up.
2: Well, you know, just, just blessed. Right. And the stars aligned in the, in the right way. Uh, for me to have this opportunity and you know playing for coach Marquis and then being an assistant coach for him. You know, you learn a lot about the history of our program and just what this program stood for. Um, You know, I'm a different coach than than Coach Marquis. So um, kind of blending a little bit of what he brought to Stanford and what what my personality brings to Stanford and just kind of taking the torch and trying to keep it going. Right. He 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 brought this program at such a high level he did what no people thought could be done, was to win, win in a sport like baseball at an academic school like Stanford, win consistently, and win a, a national championship at the highest level. Um, the thing for me that has been the most important is my experience here at Stanford was like no other. I, I made my, I made my best friends, and some of those friends are as close to me as brothers. And the relationships I had with my teammates led us to a national title. So the the thing that when I had an opportunity to come here, my first and my first and foremost goal was I want to deliver the same experience that I had at Stanford to my players, which is uh, bring them around good people and just kind of uh, try to try to uh, help those relationships grow and get them in a good environment that that our coaches care about them and they will help them get better. And then I'll take my chances on winning as many games as possible. If I could have the camaraderie in that locker room and the respect. Uh, of that locker room for the the coaches offices. I'll take my chances on winning games because I felt like that's kind of the formula coach Mark was had. And then you really kind of prepare them you really you prepare them for the adversity that that baseball is going to bring you and you got to prepare them for the confrontation which is the heart and soul and the bones and the uh, you know the, the bones of the game is a, it's a confrontational game and we got to prepare them for that that one-on-one battle whether it's pitcher hitter or hitter pitcher. And that's the fun part. When you get a chance to compete, that is the fun of baseball. When you're competing against yourself, and it's you against your swing, and you against your stride, or you against your delivery, you know that's no fun. <laughs> so it's about it's about getting ready to play. But really, it's the atmosphere of that locker room which is which drives me. Is I, I hope that I can deliver the same experience that uh, the Stanford baseball program brought me.
3: Now, obviously, in your great career, you've had a lot of players drafted and you know when you're especially at stanford you're going to be getting the top players in the country so these kids are going to get drafted out of high school and then they're going to get drafted later on after they play for you so you know a lot about the draft i just wanted your opinion that we're going to have this combine down in san diego which You know, I got to think that it's going to be great, you know, when we go back to the stories that, you know, scouts didn't want to go to New Jersey because most New Jersey kids weren't very good, so they didn't want to go see Mike Trout. So how many teams passed on even looking at Mike Trout? Now we put all the top kids one spot one location all 30 teams the top evaluators i'm sure you're you know in the next now that this thing's this thing's going to grow we're going to put it on mlb network you're going to be sending a ton of kids there how do you like this idea
2: well i think for them you know especially all those major league teams they've kind of done the groundwork throughout the year you know they're at our games home and away with different regional scouts and I think at that point when they put them on the same field, you know, they're just, they're dotting I's and crossing T's. They're trying to find when, when on the same field, you know, is what I, what I have been seeing at games. Is there an edge, you know, to one player over another is someone's talent matching up exactly like I thought it was. And maybe regionally, you know, across the board where I don't get to see some West coast guys versus the East coast guys necessarily. Uh, I may have a guy charted with numbers higher from California than from West Virginia or Connecticut and when they, when I put them on the field, man, it's closer than I thought. So I think it's their due diligence to try to do their job the best they can and try to make the best decisions they have. Um, so it's gonna be interesting when, they, when, when they get that thing rolling, uh, you know, it's much like the football combine. They want to, yeah. they want to see where the talent is. Right. And, and it may just be physical talent. Cause I don't know how much competing they will be doing, but I think, I think, you know, at least getting that, uh, measured will be important for them. Uh, but it still comes down to right. It, can you play? And I always remember hearing the story of John Madden, where his scouts would come back to him and they talk about, you know, the guy could bench press two hundred twenty-five pounds. This, this, you know, he could he could standing broad jump this, and he could run the forty. And he goes, well, let me ask you the most important player. <laughs> question: Can he play football?
3: Yeah, it's. I, I always I tell people from from my time when I worked for the Oakland Raiders and I was on the sidelines. I went, you know, no matter what. still the main thing is blocking and tackling. If you can't block and you can't tackle, I don't care what your quarterback, I don't care your wide receivers, your skill guys. If you can't win that battle in the trenches, and that's what I always get back to when we we overanalyze at this level, obviously, big league baseball, but college baseball is like, we get so in, as you mentioned, spin rates and all this kind of stuff, the essence of the game you still got to do the little things you still got to pick the ball up you still got to throw it you still got to re- still got to take first to third throw to the right bases yeah. it's the little things that still win games
2: yeah it it it, it doesn't ever get away from pitching in defense right it, it never does and the little parts of the game knowing the game base running can become that 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 just that margin of victory right it's those inches that you put together that can create winning and losing And you hope to just stack as many of those on on, on your side, pitching and defense become a big part of those inches. But then it is base running and executing and two strike hitting and, you know, driving in runners from third with less than two outs and taking an extra base going first to third. And, you know, and and it could be just as little as a secondary lead that allows you to take take third or score from second on a base hit.
3: Well, I love doing this because, as a an old college baseball player in this area, I know college baseball does not get enough press whatsoever. And the excellence that Stanford has always been, and you've you've uh, continued that great tradition and what you got going here. And I, I think our, I think a lot of our fans here in the Bay Area I really have no idea how special Omaha is in the College World Series. It's it's playing for the national championship game. It is. Uh, I, I say it like that because they understand football and the old BCS games and bowl games. This is playing for the national championship. It's just a tournament style. So, good luck against the Huskies. We will be rooting for you, and hopefully, next time we talk, you'll be in a different state.
2: God, I appreciate that. I look forward. I look forward to that. Yeah, if, if I could, if I could enjoy a stake in Omaha this year at the Drover, I think I, uh, that would make my summer.
3: Well, good luck to your coach, and hopefully we'll be talking soon. All
2: right. Thanks a lot.
3: Getting back to the College World Series, Omaha, Nebraska. And the steak is going to taste better. They all say that. Omaha Omaha steak. You ever had Omaha steaks?
5: I have, actually, yes. Now, when you said Omaha, I was like, are you talking about that or Peyton Manning and his audible call?
3: I'm talking about the College World Series.
5: Which, Stanford's game tomorrow against UConn. Uh, Look for me on TV. I'll be there. It won't be rained out. That's for sure. It's going to be hot as you know what. Good thing it's a 7.30 and not 1 in the afternoon. It's a 7.30 game? On the farm. Yeah, I guess the farm. It's still the farm.
3: I got to admit, the one thing about college baseball that's so miserable, it's got traces of Major League Baseball. It's gonna be three and a half hours. That game.
5: That game on Monday night, I was at against uh, Texas State. It went into the ninth inning, one-one. About a little old school A's coffee mug. One-one in the ninth inning, it went. You and like, then you like my A's. Texas State scored two runs, and then Stanford obviously I don't walked ca- off. No one cared. But we're, the talking game, about,
3: we're talking about, my mug.
5: You were saying about the game's being long. So I'm just telling you how long that game was. Sorry at seven. And I didn't leave. I didn't leave Sunken Diamond until about ten thirty. So, three and a half hours to play a 4-3 game. It's a long time.
3: Why don't they have a pitch clock? Are you done, or are we going to keep going with college baseball and you? Uh, No, I'm done. You're done. You're officially done. Yeah, I'm done. I hope you're there for four hours. Ting, ting. Hearing that all night. As long as I don't miss Caltrain home. Um. Do we have time to uh, question a Hall of Fame manager? Yeah, we have a few minutes. Should I give Vince Catronio a uh, redo today? Did you hear that?
5: Uh, I didn't hear it, but I remember you. You tell me about it.
3: Yeah, Vince, I don't know if I'm gonna question a Hall of Fame manager. Was this the '60s? It's the 1960s, and Hall of Fame. He's a Hall of Famer. He can do anything you want because he's a Hall of Famer. Welcome to the news desk here at the San Francisco Chronicle. Um. I think we can question Hall of Famer. Do you want to play the play first? Because Benetti and Steve Stone are
5: great at breaking it down.
3: Okay, so they did it right here. NBC Sports Chicago, is this it? Uh, Yeah, here. Okay, here's the breakdown. Dodgers, White Sox. So, Freddie Freeman got a base hit. Who was pitching? Souza? No, Souza's on the
5: Dodgers. Who was pitching? Uh, It was a lefty, though. Let me, let me get it for you. Uh, there's the game. Sorry, I for, I forget who was pitching, but I remember being a lefty. It was oh, you're right. It was Sousa, but it was Sousa pitching. Okay, I kept hearing Sousa, and I'm like, wait, I don't know. The Dodgers have Steven Sousa Jr. Oh, they were saying Sousa on left. Okay, so on. Freddie yeah. Freeman
3: got a base hit. Yeah, it's a one-two count. There's a wild pitch that puts Freddie Freeman on second base. Correct. So with a one-two count. Can you question a Hall of Fame manager? He throws up the four wide ones, which you can immediately just say go to first base. Yeah. So, it's a one-two count, which, by the way, thank you, Jerry Blevins. I know he's not listening. By the way, Jerry Blevins on the broadcast for the next uh, two, three games. Three games, yeah. He was there yesterday. Had some very good commentary. Jerry's like me. Jerry's like, that's That's crazy. Just plain crazy that you would walk a guy one-two. And as Jerry Blevin said, well, you're not going to trust me. Like, like if you really want me to pitch around him, I can. But one, two, just walk a guy. So they walk Trey Turner. One, two, base open. Max Muncy then comes up. Pitch. I don't know. Was it like pitch five? He hits a three-run shot. And all the numbers are saying, wait a minute. What the hell is Tony La Russa doing? I've got the numbers. But let's hear Steve Stone and Jason Benetti on NBC Sports Chicago.
5: Now, wait a second. They're
2: going to intentionally
3: walk him.
0: On one and two? Yep. Can you explain that to me?
2: I would think you don't want Turner to do any more damage, and you want to take advantage of
5: the
0: lefty-lefty. Typically at two strikes, the league batting average is quite low. Oh yeah. It is that. When was the last time you saw somebody intentionally walked on one and two?
3: Didn't happen often. The guy in the background. Tony, what are you doing? <laughs> so I'm I, I see exactly here in the notes, it has what you just heard. And they have it in print. And at the end of that. When Stone says, doesn't happen often, the guy you're talking about, it says, random dude in crowd, <laughs> you got yeah. two strikes, Tony.
5: I know, I, I, I should have left that part in, but I took that part out. But I remember hearing that. All right. But Tony's, Tony's explanation after the game was. Do you have it? I do. Here's Tony after the game. I believe he's talking to our, one of our good friends, Scott Merkin of MLB.com, who covers the Sox. Friend the of the side. program. Uh, so here's that Tony with Scott Merkin.
1: You explained the, uh, the thought process on the intentional walk with um, with t- t- Turner. Turner at one two on the count. So let me ask you a question: okay. Is there is there some question about whether that was a, a good move or not? Yes. At what? I guess at one two is the question. At the count. Do you know one. what he hits against left hand pitching? Yes. With one oh one or two strikes. You know what he hits?
3: Yes, I do.
1: Well, you know what Muncie hits with two strikes with against left hand pitcher. I mean, is that really a question? Because it was one and two? Turner was a, a strike left against a left-hander. It's not something you can avoid if you can. And we had an open base, and Muncie happened to be the guy behind him, and that's a better matchup. Here again, somebody disagrees. It's, that's the beauty of this game. Welcome to it. But that, that wasn't a tough call. What?
3: So you have no faith in your pitcher. I mean, you're I mean, basically at one two. I mean no offense to Trey Turner, but it is one and two. That you just put him on and go after Max Muncie, whose career versus left handed pitching. Now, Muncie hasn't been great this year, but his career he's a two fifty two hitter. Slugs five hundred. He's got a track record career against left-handed pitching. I just don't get it? Like
5: Muncie coming into the start, into the game, had an 850 OPS against left-handers where Muncie was 830 – or an 858 OPS overall and 831 against lefties. Muncie, on the other hand, had a 450 OPS against Southpaws. So, I just want not understand. Like, and a one-two count, be hitters up posted a 478 OPS through a one-two counter later this season, according to fan graphs. Turner had a 687 OPS after getting a one-two count in 2022 and a 700 OPS against a left-handed hit- left handed pitcher throughout that count for his career. I'd say that again. Turner has an 878, a 687 OPS. Six eight, okay, you're mixing numbers. Here. So it's 687. Yeah. 687 OPS after getting to one-two in 2022 and a 700 OPS against left-handers through that count for his career. So he's around a seven a 690 OPS guy around uh, with
3: That's nothing special.
5: No. So you That's wa- this year. Yeah, it 687 this year. Yes, with the one In a one round. and two count yes. against
3: left-handed pitchers. Yes. Okay, Trey Turner against lefties, does this change it? Trey Turner versus left-handed pitching. After one two count since twenty twenty one is hitting three seventy eight.
5: Okay, so maybe walking him maybe was the right call, but if, if he's hitting three seventy eight, no, walking
3: him wasn't the right call because you gave up a three run shot. It's true. You're, so you're we're hoping gonna be. Muncie
5: would struggle yes,
3: <laughs> if Muncie gets out it's the right call. hey every call' it's a call you got to make either you either get it right or you get it
5: wrong, right It's just I think the way Tony handled it after the game is just what because there was another part of his
3: but for the career, this is why I always say using statistics, using analytics, you have to really understand people can use them to back their points and you can flip it it's the old saying statistics statistics lie and liars use statistics because then i can turn around and say to you okay cody what is trey turner for his career one and two against a left-handed pitcher i don't have those numbers of course not
5: it's 254 you know what Turner hits in, in uh at bats when it reads one two this season,
3: two sixty nine. Do you know what Turner hits when he has a bagel before each game? I don't know. <laughs> and do you know what you know what Turner hits when he doesn't put cream in his coffee versus when he does? Do you know what he hits? No. You don't know. No. What if he put jelly on? What if he put? What if he toasted the bagel? Put. Butter on it, and it melted, and he put jelly on that bagel before the game. What does he hit? No idea. How do you not know that? I mean, it's like, it's like do you have faith in the guy? First of all, the intentional walk is horrible for sports. At least said he's threw four fingers now
5: not instead of throwing four pitches.
3: The fact that we have a play that says, we're not playing, we're going to sit this one out, is not competition. I agree. Nor, nor, even though I hear the people argument when the catcher gets up, I got and goes like this, and for the other camera, it goes like this, and you go, hey, we're walking you and going like this, and guys can still that should be outlawed. You should have to pitch if you want to throw four balls outside, and the catcher's got to jump outside and get it. That's fine. That to me would be the equivalent because our buddy Lucas from Australia called up and he goes, Tony, Lucas from down under." And he, and he said, isn't that like football when you when the quarterback takes it and drops to a knee? No. A quarterback, a a center, still the ball has to start on the ground. The center still has to bring the ball up to the quarterback's hand. There still has to be an exchange between the center and the quarterback. It's still an official play. There's fumbles every weekend in the NFL and in college football on that play. So, that's still a play. Quarterback gets it and then can go to an E. That's still a play. When you throw four wide ones up, you're saying, we don't want to play. I hate the intentional walk. You should have to pitch to a guy. Hey, if you want to throw four balls over his head, that's fine. You should still have to compete. There should still be competition in every single sport. Hey, I got an ID in golf. When I got a hole that I don't want to play because it doesn't suit my eye, I'm taking this one off. I'm only playing 17 today. I'm not playing 18 because I don't like the way this one looks. Because my numbers, by the way, on this hole, Cody, on number 13, I always double bogey. I'm not playing that hole today. You're just going to skip it? I'm just skipping it. I'll see you at the next tee. How many what, – what, what is it, a par four? Call it whatever you want. I just don't play well. I mean, it's stupid. You should have to play. I hate the intentional walk.
5: One more thing before we get to Katsai But
3: the fact that we can't, we, oh, my God, you cannot challenge a Hall of Fame manager. Oh, oh, he's in the Hall of Fame. He has a plaque in Cooperstown. How could you even challenge this guy?
5: Really? Only 116 times prior to this has a batter been intentionally walked after falling behind in a count one-two. Who... Has it happened to the most? Okay, now you're just throwing numbers at me. Say that again. According to Stathead, only 116 times. Stathead. That's it's baseball reference. It's oh. the the thing that. Oh, I get
3: that email every yeah. day from Stathead. Now that only I a, it.
5: only 116 batters have been intentionally walked after falling behind in a count one two. Who has been walked the most, and falling after falling behind in a one two count? It's got to be
3: Bonds. Correct. How many times? Added, there's been 116. Yeah. Uh, he's 101. No, five. There's been that many guys walked with a one and two count. Oh,
5: yeah, the list goes on.
3: Intentionally it's... walked with a one and two count.
5: After a one, two count, Bonds, five. Edgar Martinez, three. I'll just give you the top five. Chili Davis, two. Brian Giles, two. And Von Hayes, two. Von Purple Hayes, the former yeah. Philly. Yep. So there's uh, it's ridiculous. Hey, hey, even our good friend Blummer's on here at uh, one time –
3: <laughs> really? Yeah. Some, we got texting him. It's
5: very obscure, but
3: yet. What time here. are we supposed to do? Well, we
5: can do it right now. We, it's 15 minutes, so we have of, We have time still. So. I I just was he supposed to be
3: 2:30? Yeah. Are so, you, can can you challenge anything that like like if you get in do you, if you get a if if you get a plaque in the in the plaque room and you're in the baseball hall of fame. Does this now give you a license to never be questioned again? I don't think so.
5: I Think you should be more subject to more criticism.
3: Can you? you I mean, anything in life—if they say anything,
5: he's a hall of famer. Well, you, I think you're subject to more criticism because you're shown that you are one of the best to ever do what you do. You should be able to make right the the, the best decisions. Can, can I? Can
3: I ask Tony why they're twenty six and twenty nine? What injuries? Well, what about the other guys? They can't play. Was there a reason why you're minus fifty seven and yeah, And Their run, run differential? differential is bad. Minus fifty seven.
5: They're starting pitching supposed to be like let's save them. Dallas Keuchel DFA now a Diamondback. Lance Lynn on the injured list.
3: Where are, are the? Where is uh, the Dbacks AAA? Is that Reno? Reno, that's where Dan Strelia is. Dallas Keuchel, Reno Ace, great next to the bowling hall of fame in the biggest little city in the world. Him and uh, Dan Shrelly are uh, probably on the mound. Dan the K-man. You get a back-to-back game of Dan the K-man and,
5: and, and Dallas Keuchel. Good luck. Well, Keuchel doesn't strike a lot of batters anymore. I can just
3: hear it now. You got some resumes on the mound.
5: <laughs> <laughs> that one guy, he's won a Cy Young
3: and a World Series. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Earlier today, we caught up with Mark Kotze. It's Friday, and it's time for the Mark Kotze Show. Time now for the Mark Kotze show brought to you by Nestbedding.com. Love where you sleep. Of course, Nest Bedding has locations in the Bay Area, or you go online to nestbedding.com for all of your bedding needs. You need a mattress, you need pillows, you need sheets, you name it. Go to one of their stores in the Bay Area or go to nestbedding.com. Use the coupon code Oakland. You get 10% off your entire order. That's nestbedding.com. Kotz, how are you in Cleveland?
6: Well, it's a beautiful day in Cleveland, for sure. We're uh, we're getting ready to go out and do some early work with the boys and uh, get out there and, and hit on the velo machine today.
3: Well, I got to tell you, getting ready for this series, it was kind of shocking to me when I went, okay, for the A's, it's your guys' 59th game. And, oh, by the way, Cleveland has only played 52 games, and we talked to Tom Hamilton yesterday on A's Cast Live, their their longtime broadcaster. They had had nine cancellations so far this year. I'm like, oh my I mean, hard to believe. So I'm just I'm thankful you guys have great weather because they've had miserable weather and they're gonna have a boatload of doubleheaders to try and catch up.
6: Yeah, you know, it will be a grind once they have to uh to play those doubleheaders and make up these games. You know, we talk about Cleveland and I mentioned how beautiful it is today and they could turn on a dime uh just basically being next to this lake and the weather rolls in and Next thing you know, you're in a two-hour rain delay. So we're hopeful we don't have any rain delays this weekend, and uh, and we get these games in, and, and uh, we can pick up a couple Ws.
3: You know, let's talk about one of your guys who's who starting to get his mojo back, and the bottom line is we know Ramon Loriano. He hates going down to the minor leagues. He just, you know, let me get in there. He's a bull in a China shop, but obviously with the suspension, had to go to AAA, shows up. It's just so hard to replicate game speed at the major league level. He gets off to a slow start, but all of a sudden that hitting streak has changed everything for him. What are you seeing from a timing standpoint for Ramon Laureano?
6: Yeah, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Townie, for Ramon, it took a minute for him to, I think, feel completely comfortable being back in in the locker room, being back amongst, you know, some of his teammates, that core group that, you know, he felt, um, you know, that he may have let down through this suspension. Um, Ramon and I have talked several times about, you know, how to go forward, how to move forward. And I think he's finally let that go and, and had those tough conversations with some of his teammates in that locker room, and he feels uh, at least somewhat more comfortable uh, about his environment. And I think that really, when it clicked, he started to take off. And as you talk about, it's never easy um, you know, to be away from the game, especially for 80 days for a guy that is so passionate about baseball, that really lives, eats, sleeps, baseball and you know when we talk about Ramon Laureano we talk about you know the player that you know will hit a double take an extra base on a throw and then score a run and he creates a run all by himself and we've seen that over the last two weeks we've seen that Ramon that we're used to watching the incredible catch that he made in right center in a game that was a 13 to 2 you know Christian Bethancourt on the mound and he's still playing the game hard and, and that says something about the character of uh, of this kid. And and I, you know, couldn't be happier about uh, his progress and and what he's been able to do offensively for for our group, uh, especially over the last ten days.
3: Speaking of Bethancourt, now I absolutely hate position players pitching. Uh, it drives me nuts. I think it's a mockery of the game. But when you put him out there where he has pitched in professional baseball. And he's throwing it whatever, ninety three or whatever he's throwing it. When you put him in, it's a whole different ball game.
6: Yeah. It is a whole different ball game. You know, Christian Bethencourt was a pitcher for the Padres. They converted him, uh, and tried to make that his career path. It, it didn't um, you know, end up being uh something that Christian um you know, did or continued in his career, but so going to him the other night in Atlanta, asking him to pitch, there's both a concern of injury, uh, based on knowing that he's probably going to let it go, and he's probably not going to lob it at 58 miles an hour uh, as you are, are normally, you know, watch uh, from a position player pitching. And sure enough, you know, I think when he threw his first fastball to Olson, it was 94.5, and you could tell Matt kind of steps back and his eyes went, "Wow, okay." And then he throws this. Like 78 mile an hour BP heater and Matt rolls over, um, you know. So uh, you're right. It, it's it's a little bit more comforting knowing that he can throw strikes because he's a former pitcher. Uh, but you never want to get a guy injured as well.
3: You know, noticing his game. You know when he try when he tries to pull the ball. You know some guys. It's an art form pulling the ball, and that's what they do. And then there's other guys that really have that power that if they stay inside the ball and they take it to right center, it really plays for them. And I've noticed lately for Bethancourt, as his numbers start to get better, the fact that he's driving the ball to right center, whether it's for a home run or it's for a double, it just seems to be that's where the ball plays off its bat best. What are you seeing with him at the plate as he looks like he's getting better?
6: yeah, I, I would definitely uh, agree with you in terms of his strength and his strength is to that right center gap. He's got, you know, I've talked about it in the past that we were waiting for this power. Um, you know, he hadn't hit a home run in I think it was five years. Um, and and at that point, uh, when you watched him take BP, you knew there was big power, and it's shown up in the last uh, five to ten days. Uh, his, his path is cleaned up. He's on the baseball you know last night. Uh, here in Cleveland, he hit four balls. You couldn't have hit him any harder. And, um, you know, I think if he was a millimeter under um, two of the baseballs, they probably would have had, he probably would have hit three home runs last night. So it's good to see him heating up. It's good to see him uh, having some success and, and being a part of the uh, the offense now.
3: You know, when you think about good stories, Jared Koenig is an unbelievable story. His college story, his independent ball story, his story down to Australia. I mean, you name it, everywhere this kid went, you'd think there's no way he's going to make the big leagues. Too many obstacles, too many hurdles. So when you were able to tell him, uh, here's the ball, go get him, what was that like? And was it like for all you guys to know about this know his story and how he got to the big leagues and how special it is.
6: Yeah. You know, we talked about a little County in spring training that this season was going to um, have, you know, there's going to be opportunity for guys to make their debuts and how special that was going to be for, for these guys. And the the, the grind that it took for Christian Bethancourt to get back to the big leagues uh, and to have his, you know, first major league at bat in several years and the grinds, that these guys go through. And, and as you talk about Koenig, you know, that's a, an amazing journey and a perseverance, the grit that it took to to just keep going and, and handing him the ball and, uh, you know, seeing the, the pure excitement, the pure joy. Yes, there was some nerves um, as, as every uh, young man that takes the mound for the first time at a major league ballpark, especially that in Atlanta against the World Series championship team with a 40,000 crowd, you know, a sellout crowd. Um, you know, I thought Jared handled himself really well.
3: Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's good to see. And, you know, when we talk about a year of discovery and you talk, that's what we call it on the post game show of trying to, you know, you got to find guys that can help you now and find guys who can help you in the future. I know his age is not, you know, not really looking for the future, but I'm kind of like, I want to see more of them. You know, why not? How do you feel about that?
6: Yeah, yeah, you will see more of them. He's going to get another opportunity to start here and uh, against another great caliber team in Boston. Um, You know, and and I think, you know, I think the nerves will be somewhat uh, subdued for him. I think he's recognized uh, some things. You know, I talked to him yesterday just about uh, what you take away from, from your first big league start. And he said, well, the biggest noticeable difference is that these big league hitters they don't expand, they don't swing outside the zone very often, and you know that is that there's a separator there with uh, the levels uh, as as each level you go up. But from from Triple A to the to the big leagues, especially uh, that Atlanta lineup, those guys didn't expand, they didn't swing out of zone. And uh, when you force a pitcher to to get inside that zone, it it uh, it generally benefits the hitter. But um, you know he's he's definitely um, going forward, uh, learn, you know, from the first experience and I, and I expect him to go out and, uh, and be better next next time out.
3: You know, when I look at caps outing yesterday and I just think of catfish Hunter and he gave up two solo home runs, it's just two runs. So when I evaluate it and I evaluate him, I go, okay, not a bad start. I would have liked to have seen him gone longer in the game. How do you think, obviously, you're con- always going to be concerned with his health. Uh, where is he right now? How do you see Cap where we are right now in the season and going forward?
6: Yeah, you know, I thought it was a good outing for Cap. You know, you, you're looking for that balance between sending him back out to that sixth inning and and having him go through the two, three, four part of that lineup, which is all left-handed, which, you know, all three of those hitters had uh, – Uh, hits against him uh, in their previous at bat so you evaluate you know getting cap out on a positive note even though he gave up two solo home runs to two really good hitters um you know you you want him to leave that game with a good feeling and i think that he did he should have left that game with a good feeling uh only giving up two runs through five innings uh you know we went to our bullpen where we felt we had good matchups you know aj puck comes in against those three lefties and uh you know, for us, it's always about giving these guys the best opportunity to have success and uh, matching them up. And uh, you know, unfortunately, there towards the end, we we couldn't get our job done, and uh, you know, ended up on the wrong end of that game last night.
3: You know, when you look at managing a bullpen, now that you've been doing this for a while, and obviously all the years being on the bench, what do you think really is the main key to managing a bullpen? Because there's so many guys down there. Hot, cold—you know—just what? What? What do you think the key is?
6: Yeah, I don't know if there's one key. I think obviously it's—it's it's every day you evaluate which guys you feel, um, you know, are having the best success, and and you you also take into you you, you evaluate whether or not their workload has impact on them. You know, you you've got to be able to take care of their arms as well because it is a long season. So you know, grinding on the one hot guy and and utilizing him to get through games every day. Uh, ends up in the long run most likely wearing them down. So there's a balance to it. I think we're constantly looking at the matchups. We're constantly looking at, as you talk about, who's hot, who's throwing the baseball well, and uh, and trying to line them up to get us uh, through a game.
3: Yeah, I got to think it's tough when you're like, boy, I really would like to pitch him, but I've thrown him three out of the last four days. But, boy, I would really like to pitch him. Like, if you got a hot guy – You want to run them out there all the time. Obviously you can't, but that's got to be so tough as a manager, knowing who's hot and going, I can't use my best.
6: Uh, The thing that comes to the front of my mind is watching Joe Torrey use his bullpen. And I think it was Daniel Robertson, maybe, uh, who set up for uh, Mariano Rivera. He would pitch as you talk about four out of five. And, and, you know, for us nowadays, Uh, not only would, would we probably have upper management down our throat, but we'd probably have the training staff out there before we even decided to bring him into the game saying, Hey, is, uh, you've used him four out of five days. Like that's, that's enough, you know? So, um, you know, again, we're looking at the health, we're looking at the longevity of these guys and trying to keep them healthy throughout the, the, the long season.
3: Well, let's end on this. Your buddy Phil Nevin, another Cal State Fullerton guy, is now the manager of the Los Angeles Angels. I know you know Phil really well. Uh, you got to be happy for him. What, what, what do you? Th- and we people have said it for years. They think Phil Nevin's going to be a manager. What, what were your first thoughts when you heard about him taking over for Joe Maddon?
6: Yeah. Well, I obviously have a good, really close relationship with Phil, and I, I couldn't be happier for him. He's persevered for a long time. His, his journey in coaching started uh, out in, in, I believe, at Fullerton managing an independent team. Um, I want to say that was 2011 or 2012 uh, when he got done playing. So he's grinded a long time. He's put a lot of hard work in uh, to this career path and and well-deserved. And I think Phil's the right guy for that job. Uh, he, he's got a huge... Uh, heart. He's, he's he's very emotional and passionate about his players. And, uh, you know, one of the things Tony, that I'd like to talk about, uh, you know, from, from our standpoint is, is honoring our our head coach at Cal State Fullerton with Augie Garrido. And I know Augie's up there looking down on us and, and smiling. And uh, I couldn't be, couldn't be more proud to, to uh, have mentored under him and, and to, uh, to be able to call Augie a friend.
3: You know, we just had David Esker on the program, the head coach of Stanford, and you know how good Stanford's program is. And Esker played for their national championship teams in the 80s. Then he was the coach at Cal for Mark Canna and Marcus Simeon. Then he's, he's gone back to his alma mater. And I know what he has meant to some of our A's players over there in Cal and now what he's doing at Stanford. And And these college coaches – they do so much for people. I recently had my old head coach on at San Jose State, who you competed against, Sam Peraro, for, for many, many years. And what these guys do for us, they educate us, they teach us. And Augie Garrido, one of the greats, whether it's Fullerton or what he did at Texas, you know, we don't praise these guys enough. And I'm glad that you did that because you think of all the tremendous players that went through Cal State, Fullerton, and learned from your old, your, your old head coach.
6: Yeah, we were really blessed. We were blessed to have a great great man lead us and and teach us, as you talk about, not only the game of baseball, but but the value of relationships in life and what it really means, uh, the impact it can have. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm so thankful uh, to have gone there, to have played for Augie, and uh, and I know Phil would would say the same.
3: All righty. Enjoy the rest of Cleveland, then Fenway Park, and we'll see you back in Oakland.
6: Sounds good, tally. Thanks again.
3: How good is that? By the way, had to uh had to educate here the young man to my right when we start talking about Augie Garrido, who he's talking about the legendary coach at Fullerton and then Texas. You, know, you 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 like college baseball, you really don't know Augie Garrido who was Technically, modern day, I know Rob Dato got a lot of praise for USC, but that was way before. I mean, Aggie Garrido won national championships at two different colleges.
5: I I, was, I think the thing that blew me away most when he showed me is that he's 1,000 games over 500 in his career as a
3: coach. Won a national championship in 1979, and his last one was in 2005. That's, uh, yeah, that's a long time.
5: Let's see, he coached at Sarah High School and SF State and Cal Poly are some of his stops, you know, before Cal State Fullerton and, and uh, Texas. Oh, And a brief stop at Illinois.
3: Five-time national champion. It's really good. And he did it during your lifetime, so it's not like this is old. Well, not 79, but. 2002, 2005, he brought it home.
5: That's good. I was five
3: national championships.
5: 12 and 15? No, it would have been 15 and 17 somewhere around there.
3: In the College Baseball Hall of Fame, and of course, yeah. And by the way, whoever found whoever's trying to start this thing about there's now three Cal State Fullerton players who are now managers in the big leagues. Gabe Kapler never played at Cal State Fullerton. He got shown the door after two weeks. He never played in a game. I don't know where you guys are coming up with this. I don't know where you saw it. I heard it somewhere. Gabe Kapler never played at Cal State Fullerton. I just know that I heard
5: it. I can't remember where I heard it from. Um, I don't know if it was Buster's podcast or something, and they mentioned it, but, um, or somewhere. But I remember hearing it somewhere. But if you look at Kapler's page, it says he went to Cal State Fullerton.
3: Oh, he might have attended a class,
5: <laughs> right? Let's see. What does he say? Da, 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 da. Yeah, there it is. Attended Cal State Fullerton in the fall of nineteen ninety-three.
3: Okay, for one semester. College baseball is not in the fall; it's a spring sport. I didn't. know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he never played. He was there for, according to Mark Kotze, because I asked Mark Kotz. Mark, I was like, "Yeah," he's like, "He was there for two weeks." Yeah, he may have gone to school. I've done summer school at places. Does that mean I, I'm a – where did I do sign? I did a class at Grossmont College. I took a class at
5: Harvard online with my Harvard graduate. Are you now
3: a Harvard alum? Uh, I,
5: have a, I have a friend that claims that he went to Arizona because he did his freshman year first semester there. He goes, yeah, my school, Arizona. I'm sorry, do you have a degree that says you went to the University of Arizona?
3: There is something about that, though, that you can claim you're an alum if you didn't graduate. I don't know the technical rules. Well,
5: so if that's true, I went to Harvard.
3: So. Besides going to harvard on the California University Kapler attended Cal State Fullerton in the fall of 1993, which means he didn't play. He never played a game there. He went to junior college after. He basically, Augie Garrido, showed him the door after two weeks. Wasn't having any of uh, Hollywood Gabe Kapler back in the day. Yeah. Because supposedly Gabe Kapler at 18 was a – my sources say he was a load. Let's put it at that. Uh, Real quick before we go. Have we missed anything? We've gotten to – oh, the greatness of Otani. We can play the highlights real quick. I mean, this – this is you, once in a lifetime. Let,
5: let's play this one first. This is the, uh, the, the strikeout of Rafi Devers. Uh, just take a listen. This is Gooby and Patrick O'Neill on Bally Sports uh, West. Two down and
0: the 2 2 to Devers.
5: And he got him.
0: 101. Wait a second. Is that a freeway
3: to 101?
0: Oh.
5: Gas gets him.
3: Look how so- Southern California Gooby's become. I know when I say it, I'll have people, you don't live in Southern California, it's not the. Yes, in Southern California, for some reason, I don't know why, we grow up and we say the yep. in front of our freeways. My wife still the says The 101.
5: It. My wife still says it.
3: Yeah, I do too all the time. Even though I've lived my entire adult life in Northern California. Ever since college, I've been here. I've lived here way longer than I've lived in Southern California. I grew up in San Diego, but my entire adult life, everything, college, marriage, kids, career, everything has been in the city of San Jose, which according to Cody is in the Bay Area now. Uh, I've lived my entire life other than 18 years in San Diego. But yes, I still go the 280, the 101, the 880, and if you don't like it, stick it. I don't care. Real quick. Do you How call? about go- Goobie's from New Jersey, right? I'll take your word for it. Pretty sure he's from Jersey. Do you call it
5: the Bart? No. I hear people when they say Bart. the Bart. Bart. I'm gonna take the Caltrain. Okay. Where are, you, where are you taking the Caltrain to?
3: Mark Gubaza. I want to say he's from Jersey. And I'm I don't really have wow, a uh, Philadelphia. Oh, he's Philly. Ah, same thing. Philly, Jersey. It's all the same.
5: I almost said something about Philadelphia and Jersey, but Wow, no.
3: your Pennsylvania hate for Eastern Eastern PA. I
5: couldn't tell the two st- to, between Philly and, and anywhere in New Jersey. I am a apart. fan of
3: Philadelphia. I have enjoyed my time whenever I've been in Philadelphia. Uh, it's okay. The oh. fighting city of Philadelphia. Let, Go let, ahead.
5: Let's play the other highlight. This is uh, something Otani did later in the game. Drives
1: that one. Hit well. Shohei Otani has done it. He's back in the saddle. 2 1 Angels. Shohei.
0: The home run. Two-run home run, providing the help he
1: needed
5: on a swing the other way, left center. So Otani, I, I got a couple notes real quick to give you. That was his 12th home run of the season, but his first is May 29th when he hit two homers against the Blue Jays. That homerless drought spended nine games of 44 plate appearances. That pitch he threw was 101 miles per hour. That's tied for the third fastest of his career. It's the fastest pitch since his 100 since 101 mile per hour, um, 101 mile per hour pitch on 4-4 of 21. So April 4th of last year, that's for him. It's also the fastest strikeout pitch he's ever thrown. Only him and Luis Gonzalez, yes, Giants outfielder Luis Gonzalez, hit home runs in the game. Gonzo, the, friend that, of the program? That they've pitched in this year. So there's some Otani. And that's the sixth time, uh, my re- not my research, Sarah Langs text me the answer. Six times Otani's hit a home run over 100 miles an hour, exit Vilo, and thrown a pitch that's over 100 miles an hour.
3: Yeah, you just can't um... – it's incredible man it's 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 literally it's incredible is he the best player in baseball no but uh, pretty safe to say he is uh, he's the most exciting there's no one like him we've never seen anything like it and I hope that what he's doing will allow future players who have this kind of talent like a mark Kotze, to, to have this opportunity to at least try it, That's what I'm hoping for.
5: Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I, I would like to see more two way players.
3: Now that we got
5: well, a lot of injuries going on, which we can get into later with pitchers. Now that Casey Mize is now off for the year, having
3: Tommy John surgery. Guys, I've been telling you, we're at a we're at a tipping point. They're running out of guys. They're run. There's not enough. There's not enough good pitchers in the world. We're a world game. So people play all over the world. We do not have. You can add as many roster spots as you want. We do not have enough pitchers in the world to pitch the innings that we need. Starters have to go longer. All righty, my friend. Good stuff. Enjoy uh, Stanford tomorrow. Yeah, go Cardinal. Where Can I go with you?
5: We can find you a ticket probably.
3: What time's the game? 7.30. I'll be working. What time's our game tomorrow? Oh.
5: Uh, it's in the afternoon. It's like a one o'clock game, I think.
3: Uh, have fun.
5: You'll be done by then.
3: Hey, uh you 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 coming on Sunday morning with us at seven thirty?
5: Uh I I'll pass.
3: Oh, okay. Coming now, up now, huh?
5: I was gonna say, member, seven thirty five Ace Total Access, first pitch on Sunday. Ace I Garden. wanna know actually
3: how many people are listening on Sunday morning at seven thirty. It's gonna be me and a cast of thousands. Everybody, thank you for listening to Ace Cast Live. We want to thank David Esker, the head coach of Stanford Cardinal. Good luck to you. We want to thank Glenn Kuyper for coming on before tonight's broadcast and Mark Kotze, the manager of your Oakland Athletics. Ace Total Access brought to you by Chevron Coming Up Moments. Have a great weekend, Cody. All of you have a great weekend. Stay cool. Get in the bull, get in the pool, go to the beach. But listen to Ace Baseball on Ace Cast.